You're listening to a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This is an Allied Health and Nursing Education Outreach Program podcast in collaboration with the Education Hub at the Royal Children's Hospital. Hi, my name's Sarah Temby and I'm an Allied Health Educator in the Royal Children's Hospital Allied Health and Nursing Education Outreach Program and in the RCH Education Hub. Today we have Rachel Martin, a dietitian, and Sarah James, a speech pathologist, who both work at the Royal Children's Hospital. They've been working here for over five years and both have worked in the area of paediatric feeding for over 18 years. Rachel and Sarah established a complex feeding clinic after identifying a service gap for children who were fed via a tube but had the developmental potential to work towards independent eating. Today we'll be discussing tube weeding from their perspective. Welcome Rachel and Sarah. Thanks for having us. So you work with children to support their tube weaning. What does that involve? Children we see have a feeding tube either in their nose or into their stomach. They might be fed 100% through their feeding tube or partially. The tube weaning means we are trying to reduce the amount that is going through the feeding tube and to increase the amount of nutrition going into their mouth. Sometimes this will mean we are able to remove the tube completely, but for other children, we're aiming for an increase in oral intake and their tube becomes a supplementary form of nutrition to sustain their growth and development. Sarah and my therapy is aimed at developing children's oral skill development. And as that improves, we can gradually reduce the dependence on the feeding tube. Okay. And when you say you aim to develop oral skill, what does that mean? Oral skills is really what the child can do with the food and drink in their mouth. We look at what the child's doing in terms of their general development. Are they sitting up? Are they showing an interest when other people are eating? Can they bring their hands up to their mouth? If we're working with a baby or a child who's got a disability or a delay, we would be looking at supportive seating or cups and adaptive spoons and forks and things like that. And the therapy is then about introducing the food and drink in a really fun, no pressure way. We're letting the child explore the food. I've always checked that their swallow is safe um, and that we can progress in a safe way. And over time, we expect to see children start to eat and drink and then we can consider what to do next. And what approach do you take to tube weaning? We really start by listening to what the family has experienced. Often we meet babies and children and their parents when a child has spent most or all of their life in hospital. And it's really important to understand the parent's perspective and where we fit in. Some families come to us with really clear goals about tube weaning and others might not, but we certainly develop a goal as we learn um, a little bit more about their child. We have a skills-based approach to our therapy and we use the tube in a positive way. We explain to the family that these tubes are fantastic because they allow their child to grow and develop while in parallel we can work on their oral feeding skills. We might start with really small steps. For example, a child might be fed exactly the same amount of formula at exactly the same time every day. And a starting point might be to discuss with the parents about introducing some variability in the volume and maybe the times of those feeds to mimic how a child of the same developmental age equivalence would be feeding. And have you got an example of a child who you're working with to assist with tube weaning? Yes. Well, we recently worked with a, um, we started with a two-month-old baby who had a nasogastric tube and was taking nothing orally. Over time, slowly we introduced the bottle alongside the nasogastric tube for top-ups without pressure to take the bottle and allowing the child to decide how long and when she would take the bottle. She never built an aversion to it. 
to ensure adequate nutrition, she was given fortified expressed breast milk and trialed full oral feeds. She did well with this, but when the breast milk wasn't fortified, the child actually drank a lot more. So we stopped the fortification and let her have just plain expressed breast milk. Then with that the tube was gone. She was feeding express breast milk well. Mum asked about, can we establish breastfeeding? And again, we thought, yes, absolutely. It was a gradual and relaxed approach to breastfeeding with bottle top-ups. And after about two weeks, the child was on about 90% breastfeeds with one or two bottle top-ups during the day. But mum is just so happy that for all those months, she kept expressing because the end result was so worth it. And this little one is now developing all the skills that we expect to see out of a child of her age of around four months now. Okay, fantastic. I've heard of hunger or starvation as a motivator. Is that a method you use? Yeah, we do. But as we explained to families, a child needs to have the skills to eat and drink before we can use hunger as the motivation. There's no point in inducing hunger if a child doesn't have the skills to fill that gap. And hangry is real and we don't want to make kids hangry um, if they can't. (laughs) Uh, eat and drink and, you know, sort themselves out. We also focus on the enjoyment of food and having fun and and wanting to be part of mealtimes and that's really vital and it's essential that if you're going to reduce or cease the tube feed that the child's experience of eating is preferable to that feeling of of hunger. Children who have had long-term tube feeds aren't used to that feeling of hunger so we teach them that we fix hunger by eating and drinking. Our key And what Rach and I are always um, thinking about is when do we do this? When do we reduce the volume? And when we do that, monitoring their skills for their oral intake. And where does a parent fit in? We see the parents as the expert in their child. And so it's our job to support those parents to transition their child from timed, regular, monotonous tube feeds to then enabling them to trust their child's hunger and satiety cues. And can you give an example of a satiety cue that a child may display? Absolutely. A satiety cue is is the baby or the child's way of telling us that they are full and they don't want any more, that they're satisfied. We all eat and we all know ourselves how that feels to be full. And it's often how we explain that satiety to parents. With children who we are artificially feeding with a tube, they may not be aware of their feelings of fullness and the signs can be less obvious to them. Satiety cue might be something you might see closing the lips, turning the head away, the child saying no or pushing the bottle or pushing the bowl away. And that's their way of saying they've had enough, they feel full. Uh, Okay, I understand. How else do you support the parent during tube weaning? We try and give parents permission to unmedicalize their approach to the child's feeding and to the child's day-to-day management. Okay, interesting. And can you give an example of that? Yeah, um, we often meet parents who are about four weeks post-discharge and families might be continuing to record the volumes in and out of the tube and taking daily weights of their child or baby, just like they were when they were in hospital. Um, So we work with the parents to undo these habits and help them to realise that they don't need such close monitoring now that they're home. And are there any resources that you would recommend to clinicians to assist in tube weaning? A lot of the resources Sarah and I use um, come from the Ellen Satter's Feeding Competence and Division of Responsibility. We use that a lot in our work. Uh, We find the website a really helpful resource for parents as well as clinicians and feeding therapists. Okay, great. And what are your three top tips for tube weaning? 
Firstly, there would be, I would say there's not one approach to tube weaning that will suit every child. We, uh, Sarah and I, adjust and adapt our therapy approach with every different patient that we see. Secondly, with children where we're able to remove the tube, we've found that sometimes we take the tube out and it's actually not the right time and the tube might need to go back in. We have always told the family that this is a possibility and that it's not a failure if the tube goes back in, but it's actually part of the process of tube weaning and that if we've taken the tube out, we've learnt lots of things about what that child can do and we're popping it back in so that we're giving that child a little bit more time to grow and develop their um, their oral skills so that we can try again a little bit further down the journey. Mm. And thirdly, we would also say that a child's weight is not the single measure of success. We are looking across many parameters um, and mainly our priority is around skill development and enabling that child to improve that development. Okay, thank you so much, Rachel and Sarah, for talking today about your experience with tube weaning from a dietitian and a speech pathologist point of view. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. Please view the description section below for more information on this topic. The Education Hub is a collaboration between the Royal Children's Hospital and the University of Melbourne Department of Paediatrics and funded by the RCH Foundation. Thank you.